0: What's up Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. Today you guys just have me. It is just I, uh, Candice, Isaac, and David have taken just a little bit of a step back from the podcast. They got some things going on in life so they weren't able to record tonight. Uh, We hope to have them back at some point, but in the meantime, you guys just got me. And there is a ton of Grizzlies basketball to talk about. A lot has gone down. Uh, Since you guys last heard from me, so I'm gonna try my best to get into it We got a lot of things to cover. So let's talk some Grizzlies basketball So I am recording this Immediately after the Grizzlies have officially defeated the New York Knicks Uh, they win that game 127 to 123 and we're gonna break that game down but First, I want to take a, a, a trip back down memory lane and sort of talk through some of the games and what's happened to this point um, since we last have talked. Now, there was a game against the Brooklyn Nets, and they played in Brooklyn, and that game was ultimately a loss. The Grizzlies just had too many injuries. It was a game where they decided to rest Jaron Jackson Jr. They didn't have John Moran. He just suffered his sprained ankle. Um he wasn't playing and they didn't have Desmond Bain obviously either as he's still out. And I, I there's not a lot to talk about. I'm not gonna spend a ton of time talking about that game because, well, it just came up to injuries. It was the game it was a Dylan Brooks game where Dylan Brooks shot like thirty shots. Um he got thirty-one points, but it just wasn't enough at the end of the day for a fully loyal Brooklyn Nets team. And Ben Simmons ended up having a pretty good performance, twenty-two points. Um, against us in that game and while there were some issues that I felt like could have prevented the loss I think at the end of the day it just came down that there was not a closer there was not a guy who you could automatically go to and get you shots like that in those big moments in a tightly contested type of game so that's that but one of the things I do want to talk a little bit more about was the following loss against the Sacramento Kings I think for me that was a pivotal moment in my opinion and I tweeted this out when it happened. But I think they needed that loss. The, the Grizzlies lost that game um, 109 to 113 to the Brooklyn to, to the Sacramento Kings, I'm sorry, at home. And that was a tough loss. I feel for a lot of reasons because I think it could have been avoided. Um, I think it came down to, uh, to defense, despite the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. was playing, I think there were still a lot of lapses in defense. And I think they needed to feel that loss. That was a loss where I feel like coaching played a part. I didn't like some of the rotations that ultimately Taylor Jenkins made, especially down the stretch, that like late third, fourth quarter um, stretch without John Morant. Those rotations were just, in my opinion, pretty abysmal. Um, I think one of the things that was a key for me is uh, in the fourth quarter at seven minutes left in the game, uh, Jake LaRavia Ler- is in the game he checks Jake LaRavia out of the game and replaces him with David Roddy and it's at that point that I knew that the game was going to be a loss because you know generally Taylor Jenkins does a better job of keeping the the people who were playing well in the game well Jake LaRavia was a plus one in that game and, and, and David Roddy was a negative 16 in that game and so that decision to me was just an example of just not matching up what he, what, what? I don't think the basketball strategy was there. Maybe it was based on analytics, maybe desired matchups. But either way, I think ultimately that's a big part of why the Grizzlies lost. Contrary wasn't able to step up in that game. He had several key wide open misses. And I think one of the other key things that was an inf- was a takeaway for me was that Jaron Jackson Jr. was having a phenomenal first half, and they're really. The Kings did not have any real answer for him. He was dominating in the paint. He was being aggressive. Um, He was uh, affecting the game in both ways on on defense. And there just was no answer. Harrison Harrison Barnes could do nothing with that man (laughs) at all. And and Keegan Murray for sure couldn't. And in the second half, they just went away from that. Like they stopped feeding Jaron. He didn't really get the ball much. And... It, it was just a, a puzzling thing to me because he he was so dominant and he was causing so many so much trouble for the kings for them to not go to him it's even down the stretch even when the kings are sort of giving the game away there at the end because there was a lot of opportunities for the Grizzlies to to get in to take the lead. really there were opportunities that were there, but there were just there were so many missed opportunities from a player execution perspective, from a coaching perspective. And I think had they won that game, they would have said, well, you know, we got to win and maybe they don't reevaluate some of the things that they were doing. Um, because like I said, I just can't emphasize enough. Taylor Jenkins has always historically gone with a starting with the closing lineup who's done well, right? The, the hot hands, the, is it's not it's sometimes it's matchup based, but it's just with who's played well. Typically, The five guys who's played the best on the court, they close. Now, a lot of that is going to be your core, right? But if John Contar played well that game, then he closes a lot of the times. And that was just a game where it was almost the opposite, where I couldn't understand the logic behind some of those lineups. So anyway, um, I think the number one, there, there, there are trends that I saw in that loss and in the Brooklyn loss, one, wide open threes. The perimeter defense was a struggle in both the Brooklyn Nets game and especially the Sacramento Kings loss. Those two losses, wide open threes, absolutely killed them down the stretch. The inability to make shots on their end, sure, did not help. But they could have done themselves a lot of favors. It Down the stretch, I will say they got better about not having as many wide open threes. But the problem is... If you let so many wide open threes happen in the first half of the game, then the guys are in a rhythm. And when you contest them, they just make these wildly contesting shots because they're already in a rhythm. And so I feel like that affected the game. And free throw shooting absolutely affected that game. Um, They shot 63.3% from the free throw line, which was honestly abysmal. It's hard to watch. Um, They were just how many free throws were missed in that game and that's been a reoccurring theme. So even though the Grizzlies have now won two games, I will come back to that. But I feel I feel like those two things have carried over as issues. And and, and we'll come we'll talk more about that in a minute. But wide open threes a perimeter defense and the free throw shooting were keys to losing that game. And really, I'll say almost any loss. I think you could go back to any loss that the Grizzlies have had this season and point to two of those things as being a major factor. So that's definitely a trend that we're seeing from this team that I for sure am concerned about. But the next game after that, the Grizzlies do bounce back. They absolutely needed to win that game at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. It was just critical. Um I don't care who was playing, I don't care who wasn't playing, but the Western Conference is so tight-knit, and I hear a lot of people talking about how the Grizzlies are only two games back or one and a half games back, and yes, from, from first place in the West. And yes, that's true. But the thing is, is you go on a losing streak, you lose two, three games in a row, you can easily find yourself out of the plan. I mean, in theory, you can find yourself a 12th seed because everybody is too and a half or two to one and a half games back from first place and when it's that jumbled up and there's that little separation you don't have a margin for error you can't afford a losing streak and so some people say well we're not healthy they'll get healthy i don't think it's that simple i think it. it if you fall out of the west it's hard to climb it because everybody else is so close together um As long as you you need to basically stay in it. You don't have to dominate the West. But you do got to stay afloat. And the Pelicans win was critical, I think, to the Grizzlies staying afloat. That's all they need to do. Stay in the middle of the pack. If you can manage to stay in the middle of the pack until you get healthy, then the Grizzlies are in absolutely wonderful position um, to set themselves up to be at the top of the Western Conference and maybe even win the Western Conference, which is definitely still in play, in my opinion. But I think... And, I, and this is why I say that, that the, the Kings loss was pivotal. I think what made the win or what, what resulted in the win the most was coaching strategy from a basketball perspective by Taylor Jenkins. He had the brilliant decision to put Dylan on Zion, which is something I thought about, but I didn't know if, if Jenkins would be willing to um, really, really be that different. I, a lot of people assume that Dylan would guard Brandon Ingram. With C.J. McCollum being out, and I will say that plays a factor. C.J. McCollum is a bonafide Hall of Fame Grizz killer, first ballot Hall of Famer Grizz killer. So I think the Grizzlies still win this game even if he plays, but it definitely wouldn't have been a blowout win that it was. But I, a lot of people assume that dealing with guard bi, and that you know it would be Jaron versus Zion, but. With them putting Zion on, or Dylan on Zion, it put Zion absolutely a check and allowed for for Jaren to roam free and really play to his strengths. Right, be that almost free safety who can you know play help defense, and he does that so well, and it worked phenomenally. Um, so I, when when Dylan was matched up with Zion, Zion only had two points. The guy did not score. Dylan played. I've got to give him his props. He played phenomenally against Zion. And any points he got was when basically he wasn't in the game. Um, Which is pretty incredible to say. Because although Zion has been a little up and down this year, I think, trying to find his place, without CJ, I think this would have been a great, it would have been a prime opportunity for him to take more shots and to be more aggressive and to kind of find his offensive rhythm. But he wasn't able to do that um, thanks to Dylan. And I also think another important coaching decision that swung this game was it was very early, first few minutes in the in the first quarter, and Jaron Jackson gets called for a foul, cool, free throws. And then he gets called for another foul, which is bogus. And it was proven to be bogus because Taylor Jenkins challenged it and he won the challenge. And it may seem simple, but we've seen Taylor Jenkins – Hold on to challenges like they like he gets extra bonus checks for for holding on to those challenges. Right, um, we've seen him be hesitant to, to make decisions like that so early in the game, but it was so important that he did that because it kept the best your best one of your best defenders in the game and allowed for Jaren um, to to really impact the defense to stay on the court, which you absolutely do need him staying on the court with Dylan. Um, And then I think it helped Jaren in terms of his mindset. We all know that Jaren can sometimes get in his head when he gets in foul trouble, at least historically. He's had trouble. He can can sort of have a bad game. If like the whistles go against him pretty early and he's got to sit, it sort of messes up his rhythm and he's out of his, you know, it just he didn't really figure out how to overcome those types of things. And so it would have been huge from from an emotional perspective, but it would have played right into the hands of the Pelicans early on and given them momentum, even though it was a home game, before the game even really got started. But Taylor Jenkins challenged it. I thought it was a good idea to challenge that because of how critical that moment was. Yes, it's only two fouls, but you understand that if it's two fouls that early, you've got to sit Jaron Jackson. So, they won that and ultimately allowed Janice down the court. And, and he, his impact was felt throughout the longevity of that game. So, um, huge, huge props for Jenkins, Mountain Mag. I thought the rotations were better. There were moments when I felt like, you know, Jot had been out a while. And I would kind of think to myself, you know, it's time for Jot to come back in. And then there'd be a timeout. Ja would substitute back in. And so there wasn't these long stretches where – there weren't long stretches without Ja, but it wasn't – I think when it when it was time to put Ja back in the game, he did versus in Brooklyn or in, in Kings games or really past games where Ja would need to be back in the game. And it would be obvious that Ja is needed back in the game. And he'd continue to play the bench lineups as if they're winning when they weren't when they wouldn't be and they'd be losing those minutes and it puts a lot on John when he comes back in and then have to play superhero and get the Grizz out of this hole that's really hard to come back from I know for sure that was an issue in the last Pelicans matchup that they lost was that John came back in they were down what, 12 13 points that's a lot to ask um and for even the John Moran and so I, I saw that that was improved and I, I got to give him his props for that. And then that leads us to this game, um, tonight's game that I saw a lot of things that I liked from. Um, it was a huge game um, for for John Morant for playmaking. Um, he was huge. He had fourteen assists, ten rebounds, twenty-seven points, a triple double for him. Um, Jaron Jackson had twenty-one points. Dylan Brooks had twenty-three points. Um, and it was a t- it was a back and forth game. Now, defensively, the Grizzlies did allow the Knicks to get 123 points. That's a lot of points. And I think there were some breakdowns and communications and defenses, things like that, that could have gone better. But ultimately Jalen Bronson just got hot, man. He just got hot, especially in that fourth quarter. I think they sort of defended pretty well. And then Jalen just went on a streak. Bronson was, he's just good, man. He, he really is. And While I don't love seeing the Grizzlies give up this many points, and I think there were some things that could have been done to, to make this um, a stronger defensive outing for them, I also think it's not the same type of defensive um, issues that you've been seeing in the past. Like wide open threes and rotations were better. I'm not gonna. The defense was obviously not on a string, and I think John Morant could have done a lot better defensively on tonight. But I think really he he was putting so much effort in offense, trying to facilitate. It because he did he made an con- post game post game conference that they were throwing a lot of different defenses at him. So I think that affected his defensive performance. But overall, I think rotations were solid. I think most of the shots that were taking were contested. I don't recall going you know it just being obvious. There was a you know there'd be an open three or two, but even then you'd have somebody go at least attempt to do a late closeout to try to contest a shot. There wasn't a – you'd see somebody wide open and then you'd see somebody act like they're going to head over and then decide not to. And then, of course, the guy knocks down the wide open three. There wasn't any of that um, from the bench unit nor the starting unit. And I think that's huge. I think sometimes teams are just going to get hot. And it's the NBA and these guys are talented and they're at home as Madison Square Garden – it doesn't surprise me they were able to put up some numbers. It really doesn't. It's just the way it goes. But the it, what came, what it came down to is John ja Morant being Ja and making plays, and and Jaren making some shots. He was he, he was he's some really key shots from three. He was three from eight so from the three point line. So he wasn't particularly efficient from the three point line. I mean it was it wasn't bad, but he wasn't like just killing it from the three point line. But those three pointers that he did hit were so timely. Um, they made such a difference. He wasn't able to have the defensive presence that he normally would have. It wasn't a lot of block shots, but I think he was altering shots quite a bit. I do think that he got kind of um, fooled on a couple of, maybe not fooled is the right words, but he was out of position a lot, so he wasn't able to. Um, they they did they were, There was a lot of drop-offs where uh, the Kings would drop it off to a big and, and um, Mitchell Robinson would get a dunk or something like that. that. That happened a lot. Um, to where Jaron wasn't able to really affect the paint in the way that he normally does. I think that was a result of others around him not doing their jobs and or poor communication. But um, nevertheless, I, I'm still overall happy with, with the performance. They got the win. Sometimes you're going to have to win the tough one. You're going to have to win the ones that are hard to win when you're on the road and the and the other team's hot and it's Madison Square Garden. It's a heck of an atmosphere. I've got no complaints about. I mean, sure, there are things that the team can do better in, um, namely free throw shooting. Again, um, so so let's talk about that. Today, the Grizzlies shot 23 of 20 of 31 from free from the free throw line, um, 74%, which is better than what they've been, but that's a really low bar because the Grizzlies are the worst free throw shooting percentage team in the league, and this is an issue because. Well, they they have the ability to get to the line so frequently. Like, Jaron Jackson can get to the line a lot more when he wants to now. We've seen that in these first few games. Jock gets to the line a ton. Um, Dylan, he's putting pressure on defenses enough to get him some free throw attempts. And these guys have got to hit them. Now, I will say tonight, Stephen Adams got way more free throw attempts than you would normally want Stephen Adams, Adams taking. And there was a lot of issues, especially in that first quarter with Uh, he'd get a foul, and there would be a lane violation or just something weird. They just kept filing him. Um, It was almost like a -a hack-a-shack in the first quarter, (laughs) which you never really see. But that's exactly what happened um, in this game. And so, Steven Adams did bring down your percentage. He was able to get four for nine, four four of nine, which for him, you know, (laughs) I'll take it. I guess um, I'll take it. It's not great, and I think it did bring down the greatest percentage. Otherwise, if you take out the Steven Adams, the team did a lot better in terms of free throw shooting. But it has been a concern. It it just has been. Some of it is Steven Adams, sure. And he has been, because he's being more aggressive offensively than he normally is, he's taking more free throw attempts. And that's affecting their percentage. But there are times when Tyus is missing free throws or Dylan Brooks is missing free throws. And John Moran has been extremely streaky. I, I think we were wondering early in the year, I remember having conversations with Isaac and David about, is this free throw shooting permanent? Like, will he continue to shoot it like 80% or was it streaky And with now with more games under our belt? We know it was streaky because he's had games where he's dang near missed all of them where he's missed cut clutch free throw opportunities. Um, And he could, I mean, he missed a clutch one tonight. Like he, he missed a free throw at the end there, and because of that, it put the game potentially in jeopardy. It ultimately didn't end up being that way, but Jai had a chance to put the game away with free throws tonight, and he just didn't. And we're 20 games into the season, almost a, basically a quarter way through, and it is a legitimate concern of mine for, for you to be the worst free free throw shooting percent, uh, team in the league is a problem. They've always struggled from the three-point line. It's never been a strong point, but... These guys have just got to capitalize. Like, period. I mean, in the win against the Pelicans, Ja was fifty percent from the free throw line. Unacceptable, Ja. Like, you can't you can't be that bad at the free throw line. I don't know what Taylor Jenkins has got to do, but he has got to emphasize this because this team cannot contend if they don't make their free throws. They're not going on a deep playoff run if they can't make free throws. I don't care if they're healthy or not. If the team can't make free throws, it limits their ceiling. Point blank period. Everybody's like, well, when the Grizzlies get healthy, when the Grizzlies get healthy, yeah, I hear all that. But at the end of the day, healthy or not, the team has to make their free throws. Now, it will help I hope that Steven Adams will be in the will not be playing closing lineups the way he, he played the closing lineups, particularly in the Sacramento game. That will help because well then teams just do hack a shack in the fourth quarter um and it ends up coming back to bite the Grizzlies but outside of that they still have to shoot their free throws Ja I'm looking at you you've got to shoot your free throws it is great it's so great that he got a triple double tonight but he could have he, it wouldn't it might not have mattered if they would have lost the game because he didn't make that free throw at the end like I said it's cost him games before. And it's got to be something nipped in the bud. I know they used to do free throw uh, competitions. That was a thing last year. Uh, Bring that back times two. Uh, Don't be so nice about it. Run laps if you don't make your free throws. But Taylor Jenkins has got to change his approach and be tough on these guys about the free throws. Because it's a consistent issue. It's a trend now. And it's definitely problematic. But... Anyway, that's all the negative. I don't want to talk too much negative because the Grizzlies did get a win here on tonight. And so there's a lot to celebrate. So in lieu of celebrating or right in line with celebrating, I want to talk about something that I think is, it must be mentioned. We haven't talked here in a long time and it's a trend that I'm excited to talk about. And that is the Jaron Jackson Jr. Leap. There's been a lot of talk about leaps amongst Grizz Nation, Right. There's been the John Morant leap that we've seen. We saw from that from uh, his sophomore year to his third year. And then really we saw a a leap, I think, in his three-point shooting. I think maybe it's less of a leap and he's just improved in some areas now that he's sort of kind of cooled down. But we even saw a bit of a leap from him this year in terms of improving his game. It, It was a defensive leap, I think, that's trailing off now. We saw a leap. Like I said, his free throw percentage had increased, his three point percentage had increased and his points per game had increased. And so, you know, there was a leap there. Now, it's, like I said, it's cooled down. It's improvement, but I wouldn't say it's a leap. There's been a ton of talk about the Desmond Bain leap, which is an undeniable leap, Um, increasing his scoring average by another six points. Being such a key pivotal part of the playmaking, um, even growing into the Grizzlies closer, even more so than John Morant at this point, it's been a huge leap from Desmond Bain. And we've a lot of people are looking forward to seeing that what the Zaire leap will look like once he gets healthy. What will his growth look like? What will we see from him from a playmaking perspective? Uh, will he be able to fill the gap of the Milton um, minutes? Will he be Uh, the future Dylan Brooks replacement, a lot of questions about what his leap will mean for others on the team. But what nobody's really talked about is people talked about Jaron Jackson improvements, but nobody's really talked about the Jaron Jackson junior leap. And let me tell you, I think we are seeing a Jaron Jackson junior leap. So let's, let's get into the numbers. So, so why do you say that? I'll just say from a general perspective, What you're seeing right now, and why I call it a leap, is because Jaren's really starting to put it together. And granted, we're talking about a small sample size here. It's five games. Heck, John Morant was the front water for MVP in five games. (laughs) And so things do change. I'll give that caveat. But I'll say this, if this continues, this is absolutely a huge leap for Jaren Jackson Jr. You're seeing the three-point shooting that he had in his sophomore year, the bubble year, you're seeing the efficiency that he had from the two point line in his in his in his front in his rookie year where he was dominant really in the paint and he was used a lot in the paint and you know not maybe not as much from the three point line and then you're seeing the defense from his fourth year that elite defense that he brought to this team last year. You're seeing all those three things combined in all levels. And it is absolutely beautiful to see. So let's get into the numbers. If you take out Jaron Jackson Jr.'s first game, because I do, like, it was his first game. It was a national TV game at that. He was piss poor from no, and he didn't look like himself. It was, I think he just wanted to get it out of the way. I think even he sort of commented that to him, the most important thing is just to get it out of the way. I don't think that first game was indicative at all of Jaron Jackson or his play. So, if you take out the first game, Jaron Jackson Jr. is 57% from the field, 43.5% from three. He's attempting 6.75 7, 6. Uh, free throw attempts per game. He's shooting them. He's shooting those free throws at an 82% clip. He's rebounding six, He's averaging six rebounds a game. He is averaging 1.5 steals a game. He's averaging three blocks per game and only three fouls per game. Though in currently, if you take out the first game, 22 points per game is his points per game average. That is incredible improvement. So if you don't really know, I know I threw a lot of numbers at you, right? I just see you know it's a lot of numbers, right? So let's let's break down what this really means. Jaren Jackson shooting 57.1% from the field. It is his best free free field goal percentage of his career, and of course, small sample size. I'll give that caveat. But it's his best free throw uh, field goal percentage of the year. His best prior to this was fifty one percent in his rookie year. That's when I referenced where he was really good in the paint. They used him in the paint a lot. Um, back when he was still playing with Mike Conley, that was a great two man game that they had going on, and you saw his potential in the paint that year. He showed flashes of what that was. From three-point, he's shooting 43.5% from three, which I don't really have to explain why that's incredible, right? It's, a, again, small sample size, but that's, that's a great trajectory. I'm sure that'll trail down, but his best three-point percentage was the bubble year or, or the year that finished in the bubble, his sophomore year where he shot 39, thir- uh, 39% from three. Right. So I mean that still gives him room to even drop down and still be closer to around where he was that year, which is incredible. That Jaron offensively everybody really that's when he was began to be called the unicorn because his ability to shoot threes and still have that presence in the paint was incredible. Right? Well, we all know Jaron had an incredible year leading the leagues and leading the league in blocks last year, both on a per game basis and a total blocks basis. Well this year He, so far, has surpassed that. Uh, Last year, he averaged 2.3 blocks per game. Uh, Right now, he's averaging uh, 2.75 blocks per game, basically three blocks per game um, for him, which is an increase. And we all know how impactful he was on defense last year. Again, that might go down some, but that means he's basically maintaining where he was defensively, if not improving, in that area. He's averaging the most points per game. Uh, That 22 points per game in the last four games. Well His highest career to this point his highest career average in over a season has been 17.4 and Again, we expect that to trend downward, but maybe let's say he lands at 19 That's incredible for him truly and then one thing I so want to emphasize is The free throw attempts per game Um, a lot of people have wanted Jaren to be aggressive and you know get involved in the paint more and they were upset and frustrated with him because he wasn't really doing that well this year um he is averaging 6.75 free throw attempts per game well before that he was averaging like 4.4 was his high and that was last year that was his high in free throw attempts so that's a huge leap and and you want to continue to see him being aggressive like that you want to continue seeing him in the paint um because he can dominate there. There really is no answer for him. And you know, he can shoot them efficiently, right? You know, he's got a, a good free throw percentage. Um, right now he's averaging, like I said, again, take out that last game. He's averaging 82% um, from the free throw line. So that's a guy you want shooting no shots. Seriously. And one of my, one of the most important things for Jaron in his, in his leap is that he's fouling less. Sometimes he gets in a foul trouble, um, but it doesn't seem to be as occurring of the issue and he's, I think he's learning how to play through the files. Um, right now he's averaging 2.8 fouls per game, about three, three fouls per game, but it was 3.5 last year, uh, 3.8 the year before. The year is going down each year. You see progress in that area. So Jaren's biggest criticism is that he fouls too much. He fouls too much, so he can't stay on the court. It seems that he's managed to get some of the skill work in. I know when he went down with his injury, one of my concerns and one of a lot of people's concerns was that would Jaren really be able to improve his game in those areas he needed to because he was hurt. Well, it looks like. He got enough skill work in before and after his, you know, his injury and his rehab, because the evidence is there. He looks stronger. He's able to absorb contact a lot better. Um, and you see him being more confident in in his approach to his game. Hence the aggression. Um, as a result of that, you can see another eh, one's wrong with his ability to lift weights. So that guy is stronger up top. His arms are huge, and he just, he's learning how to play big. He talked about that in a post-game press or someone watching Stephen Adams and learning from him has taught him how to utilize his body effectively. and You can just see it in his movements. Aside from stats, the eye test very much so lines up with everything I just said. Right, You, you can see his effort on the offensive glass it doesn't not, That's not a dramatic increase in that from him statistically but you can see him seeking those opportunities which to me says a lot about his mindset and his ability to grow in that area for this team you see his confidence in, in terms of attacking off of the dribble when Jaron would attack off of the dribble from the perimeter from the arc it would get he'd get sometimes turn he get turnovers a lot he he wouldn't be comfortable with his with his footwork He's still need some work in the footwork department but you could just he would either turn it over or he would uh, travel or he he just kind of looked awkward and uncomfortable he didn't you could tell he didn't really have the confidence to take people off the dribble he knew he knew he could do it but in, especially in certain matchups he didn't think he could do it well well now he's taking guys off the dribble and what he's learned to do I've noticed he's finally all Jerry ever had to do was add one more dribble one more dribble to gather to, to add some power to his shot behind it, But he, he wouldn't take that dribble and he'd travel or he'd turn it over or he'd do something weird and, you know, mess up the play or he'd miss the shot. It'd be inefficient. But now he's taking, you either see him taking that extra dribble or you see him leaping. I think he, he's learned he's more explosive than he thought he was before. He's made some leaping dunks. Or some leaping finishes where he just takes that takes that power explosion and he is stronger now and so he can finish through the contact and you see him doing that as well and it's made him more efficient overall it's, it's something small like that that just made a huge difference for him in his ability to attack people off the dribble uh, which is important for him because I know a lot of people want to see him in the paint and I do too. But when he's playing next to Stephen Adams, it's hard to have both of those guys in the paint like that. So you need a guy like Jaren to be able to attack people off the dribble, where he can be a threat on the perimeter, and still attack the paint. Now, you want to feed him in the post more, get him going. Yes, but like I said, if Stephen out there, if Stephen Adams is out there on the perimeter, well, the the defense is gonna know that he's not really a threat at that point, and so it it can still kind of clog up the paint that way. It really is best. Jaren, who is the threat helps spread the floor out more and then he attacks off the dribble i do think they can work in a, a better diet though especially when he's in with that second unit making sure they feed him in the paint at that point where he's he's at the five when he's at the five i think it needs to be a bigger priority for sure um but anyway like i said he absorbs through he absorbs contact better because you can see he's stronger now um And I think one thing that's noticeable to me is he seems more engaged and more focused. You can always see these Jaron games where he was sort of out of it and not really there. Um, You could tell when he was frustrated and he wore his emotions on his sleeve. But he seems to, and don't get me wrong, he's still going to flare his arms or if he disagrees with a call. But he, he just seems a little bit more in control. And we'll see. Like I said, early sample size. These games aren't as intense. It's the beginning of the season. Does it get worse when things get more heavy? Maybe. But I just like to see him more engaged. Um, I like to see him just more locked in. Like I said, he's looking for opportunities to rebound. He's looking for opportunities to um, just impact the game. I see him offering to set screens. Jai's waved him off a couple of times. He's offered to be part of that pick and roll a couple of times. But you, I like to see that thought from him looking for ways to help his teammates when he's on the floor. So, um, I I think that's pretty much all I've got to say on the Jaron front. Uh, I talked a lot about it, but this leap is absolutely huge for the Grizzlies because they have three bona fide all-stars in Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, and John Moran. Really, I think if they all continued this, it'd be arguable if all of them are, are in the conversation for all NBA Conversations And that'd be tough, especially for all three of them to get that. But I think they would be in the conversation, um, whether either first team or second team, because they're just playing at that elite of a level. And that's so exciting to have a core of, of, of three all-stars playing together this young. Within the, and you see room to grow in all of them. And then there's Dylan, who I will shout out, has been playing well as of late. He's doing great in the catch-and-shoot role, Dylan's, really almost become money as long as he's not creating his own shot, um, ironically enough. But he's been a huge contributor. You've got a guy who can give you 20 points when you need it, and a guy who, in the small sample size, we have seen defer to John Moran and Desmond Bain and Tyus Jones. And and I think it's working for him. I think he's learning he can thrive in that role just the same. It will be an adjustment for him when Des does come back, and it'll be interesting to see how that lineup chemistry-wise works worked itself out. But anyway, um, there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Grizzlies fan. And um, I just want to add a a few more things, a a couple of more things that I've noticed um, that the Grizzlies fans should be excited about. And that is, I just want to give a quick shout out to Steven Adams. Man, Steven Adams has been an absolute monster as of late. He has had a double-double in three of the last four games. A double-double. Now, I'm sure the rebounds don't surprise you, but the points do. He has been more aggressive. He's been more intentional. You can tell that Coach Jenkins and the team is talking to him about taking more of those chances. That's why he's been at the free throw line more often because he's been more aggressive offensively. He's rolling hard to the basket, and that impacts the offense dramatically. It makes all the difference in the world. Um, He's averaging 7.8 points per game right now that's the most he's averaged since he's been with the thunder he's also averaging 11 rebounds per game which is more than he averaged last year by one rebound so he is being absolutely dominant and it would be remiss of me not to shout out stephen adams and his wonderful contributions to this team i'm curious to see if he goes down in touches or something when 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 dez gets back Uh, like i said i'm just curious as to how the touches and all of that will work healthy. It's so important to get this team healthy because that's so huge. But anyway, shout out Steven Adams. Another shout out to to Jake LaRavia, who you might be surprised I'm shouting out Jake LaRavia. But I want to give the rookies some love here. We're seeing progress from both of these rookies in different areas. So from Jake LaRavia, I'll start with him. He has regressed offensively. Um, It's not been a great offensive month for him in the month of October. He was shooting 60 percent from the field or 60 percent from three um right now he's shooting like 30 percent from three um but he is assisting more like he only had two assists in the month of october the whole month of october he had two assists and he's got 12 in november so even though his his shot is not going is not going down at this early of an age, he's learning how to playmate for his teammates, which is huge and speaks to his maturity and his ability to fit in on his team long term. And then what's most I'm most happy to see is his improvement defensively. In the month of October, his defensive rating was 120. And now, in the month of November, it's been 110. And so you see him. Getting better defensively, uh, I think he's done better about not ball watching so much, not going wherever the ball goes. He's, you can tell he's breaking the habit because he's he's always kind of like antsy to go where the ball's going, but he's done a better job of staying a little bit more attached to his man on the outside, and I think that's been a big part of not seeing as many wide open threes in these past couple of games. Uh, you see him not doing that so much, and I I'm gonna show the most love to David Roddy. David Roddy, who has taken a bunch of crap from the fan base. A lot of people been upset with David Roddy. And understandably, because he has, quite frankly, been playing piss poor. <laughs> he really has. like, he's not He had not been playing well. He's one of the worst rotation players in the league. But doesn't that sound familiar? Wasn't like, that Zaire Williams? Kind of one of the worst rotational players in the league. And yeah, the facts show that about David Roddy as well. But we're seeing some of the same improvement that we saw from Roddy. Uh, that was how from Zaire with David Roddy on both ends of the floor. So, in the last four games, David Roddy has shot 39% from the three-point line. Yeah. You yeah, like that? Uh, he's got 39% from the floor. Um, where He was shooting 37% from the floor. That's not great. You'd love to see that get up more. But it is progress, right? He's shooting 100% from the free-throw line in the last four games. He's also got... uh, 2.25 rebounds that he's averaging per game. And he's had two games in a row where he's not been a negative on the floor. Both of these wins, he was not a negative on the floor, which may sound insignificant, but David Roddy has been consistently, like double-digit negative, negative 15, negative 16, (laughs) um, after every game. But against the Pelicans, he was a zero, a net neutral, which is huge because he spent some time guarding Zion. So for him to still come up net neutral means he held his own. And he has a plus six tonight against the Knicks, which you love to see. He was he was really giving the, the Grizzlies meaningful minutes on defense. I was super proud to see um, him holding his own and, and doing so well and, and knocking down shots the way he was. His, um, his October-November numbers are vastly improved. In the month of October, he was shooting 28% from the field. I'm sure you failed every bit of that 25% because the shots were not going down for Roddy. Well, this month, in the month of November, he is shooting 43% from the field. That's a huge difference. That's like plus, right? <laughs> and he's only going to get better. The His three-point percentage in October was literally 16%. Like, I... Honestly, I didn't think you'd see improvement on it anytime soon because it was that bad. But already, in just a month, his three-point percentage is now 35% from the three, which is better than, honestly, some of the teammates. And probably comparable to a Tyus Jones or something at this point. Like, he's really giving you minutes there. He seems to have mastered the catch and shoot. Well, that's all this team needs for him to do is catch and shoot. And it's interesting with Roddy because I think I see them – Molding him to be sort of the Dylan Brooks role off of the bench where he's gonna, you know, play good point of attack defense against the best player who's on the floor at that time and he's gonna catch and shoot threes. What they want Dylan to be, I'll say, right? Uh, They're not really looking, they used to look for Dylan to create his own shot. I don't think they want that from him anymore because they wanted Desmond to take over with that. So that David Roddy, his job is to knock down the open three to, you know, create some. To create his own shot when needed right he can take you off the dribble and get in the paint he can do that he does need to learn how to finish through contact at his size that's a concern but i think he'll he'll get the hang of that eventually right um and he just got to figure out how to do it like i said with his size he's a little undersized so he's got to get the techniques down i'll probably get stronger right in order to do that too but defensively you see him improving as well in the month of october he too had a defensive rating of 120. And now he's got a defensive rating of 113. Not as good as a defender as Jakey is right now. But I think he, I would argue he's guarding the much tougher assignments. And so when you take that on, I think he's got great promise as a as a point of attack defender. He's still got a lot of room for improvement with those defensive rotations. But I see even him doing a little bit better and not 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 ball watching as much and and not getting as confused. He still gets confused on defensive rotations, but not as much as he used to. So you love to see that progress from the rookies. I don't think these rookies will ultimately get a lot of minutes when the team gets healthy, if the team ever gets healthy. And so these minutes are valuable. I think maybe they, I think actually they probably will play Roddy because I really think they want Roddy to be the new Dylan. They'll probably prioritize his minutes. Um, over Jake Laravia at this point, I'm not sure I agree with that decision, but I think that's where they're going with it, and I'm beginning to see why and uh, what they're trying to do with David Roddy. Even though he's been a negative on the floor, they know they need another point of the, the fact uh, a point of attack defender, and they can they can groom him to do that with Dylan taking on the bulk of those minutes and David Ratty taking those spot minutes when when Dylan's off the bench. So. That makes perfect sense to me. But anyway, I think these minutes are huge. I don't think these are guys you can depend on in the playoffs or that you should depend on in the playoffs. But I think that they will give the Grizzlies a lot of depth in the long term. Right now, I don't think they're functional depth. I think they're long-term depth pieces. And we'll see the results and the fruits of that either at the end of the year, if at all, or, you know, next year next year is more than more than likely where i see that really coming to pass but anyway guys that's all i've got time for today um be sure to follow the show at ethos grizzlies um you follow me on twitter at candace h 901 that's candace h 901 uh be sure to follow my guy isaac at isaac underscore nba and be sure to follow david at NBA D wheel two one. So, uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the show. Um, we would love to hear your feedback. Give us a give us a like if you, um, or give us a review if you're uh, listening on iTunes. Um, we t- we hope to be here back. We'll do some post games. Every so often, I won't be able to do one every night, but I'll try to get get in every couple of games. Give so you guys a breakdown of what that game looked like. Um, that's it, guys. That's all the time we got for. And for tonight, we go.